So this morning we are jumping in and kind of talking about kind of moving into the summer, kind of stepping into this space and really talking about what it means to be bold. Um, in, in particular, this morning we're going to talk about what it means to be bold when it comes to prayer. And prayer is one of those areas that we all kind of believe in it, we think about it, you know, especially if you've been a Christian for a while, you've been a Christ follower for a while, you definitely um, would say that, hey, I believe in prayer, I believe in the power of prayer, but most of us don't really pray that much, and we don't pray that earnestly. Um, every now and then, though, we meet somebody who's just got these huge prayers and how they pray. In my hometown, there was a gentleman named Ken, and Ken was just this mountain of a man, huge salt and pepper beard, giant guy. He's probably like 6'3", 350 pounds, just this massive dude, um, huge personality, and he had the voice, just made James Earl Jones look like he just was kind of a, a preteen. He just had this massively big voice, and he would get up, and he would pray in my home church, and it would sound like this. It would sound like this. He was very gracious and heavenly Father. We love you. And we come before your glorious majesty this morning. And so one Sunday he's praying. He's got these huge prayers and he's praying. He says, God, as your saints, as your people, we come before you. Quietly and humbly. And I remember sitting there and realizing, Brother Jones just fell asleep in the middle of his own prayer. He is praying and fell asleep, and sure enough, he had fallen asleep, and so somebody nudged him and kind of said, kind of nudged him at the communion table and said, hey, hey, and he's like, mm, amen, um, and we're all trying so hard not to laugh, you know, there's uh, folks just trying to pretend like this never happened, um, but it, for us, sometimes that's what our prayer life ends up being, it's kind of becomes a little bit ritualistic, comes a little pro forma. Maybe we feel like we don't measure up, that our prayers aren't big enough. Uh, maybe you grew up in a family where you had a designated prayer, uh, somebody who would pray for the meals. They were the one who did it. I met a friend who, when he went into ministry, his entire extended family just decided that he was the one to pray for any family function. So much so that even if he couldn't make it, even if he wasn't going to be there, they would call him so that he could pray for Thanksgiving dinner. They wanted him to pray because he was the prayer. He's the one that does that for us. And so this morning, if you kind of feel trapped by that, if you kind of feel uh, caged in by that, if your prayer life isn't really as big as you want it to, I want to kind of begin to shift how we look at this. And in particular, I, I, an idea that came to mind this week for me as I was watching my kids do jiu-jitsu, um, I was watching my son, and there are times when he gets in there and he is just killing it. I can see that he is setting up moves. I can see that he's excited. I can see that he's confident. I can see that he is in it to win it. But there are other times when he's in there sparring and he's in there practicing, and I can tell he's just trying not to lose. You know, especially he's got one of his friends who's a little bit taller than him now. He's kind of gone through a growth spurt, so he's gained about three or four inches on him. And when, and when Jed spars with him, he's really just trying not to lose. He's not necessarily doing anything wrong, but he's just playing defense. And in some ways, I feel like that's where my prayer life sits. It's, it's ultimately playing defense. That it's really just responding to what's happening. I'm just responding to what's going on. And I'm not ever really getting out ahead of things. I'm not ever really being proactive. Um, I kind of feel like I can respond to what's happening. But I need to begin to shift how I view that and shift where that sits. And so that's kind of what we're going to look at this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, you can flip them open. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4 um, is where we're going to be this morning. 
Um, so Acts chapter 4 is this amazing uh, period of time. It's right after, um, if, you, if you're not familiar with, the new, uh, with Scripture, if you're kind of new to the church or you got drug here this morning because it's Mother's Day, um, we kind of have two halves of Scripture. You have an Old Testament and a New Testament. The first four books of the New Testament are the story of Jesus, and they kind of walk through the life of Jesus um, all the way up until his uh, crucifixion till his, uh, and ultimately his resurrection um, and then the book of Acts starts, and that's really where the book of Acts kind of picks up, is right after the resurrection of Jesus, and it's really the beginning of the church. Uh, and so you can think about it as the acts of the Holy Spirit is sometimes what it's called, or the acts of the apostles, the things that they do, and it's kind of this telling of that story. And so as we're walking through the book of Acts, you get to see kind of these changes in people. And in particular, in the first part of Acts, you see uh, Peter and John. They're coming into the temple. Uh, they're kind of meeting together uh, because the church is a little different than it is now. You know, when we think of church, we think of kind of this. We think of people kind of gathered in a room together. Um, usually there's, some parking, there's a parking lot, a place to get to the church. There's donuts. There's coffee. Um, I remember one time I visited a church in Kentucky, and they didn't, uh, they didn't just have donuts. Uh, they had donuts, but they didn't cut them in half. They cut them into quarters because, you know, you don't need a whole donut, let's be honest. Um, but I remember thinking, who just wants a quarter of a donut? That seems, seems like you're missing something here. Um, but they didn't even have that. They didn't have a quarter of a donut. Uh, and they didn't even have, and this part's crazy to think about, a Bible. There was no Bible yet. Um, it wasn't at least not how we view the Bible with an Old and a New Testament. They had the collection of Scripture that we would call the Old Testament or the Torah. Um, you had the Book of Writings. You had the Psalms. Um, you had some of the prophets. Um, but you didn't really have a Bible. And at that time, nobody just had one in their home for the most part. You had to be super rich if you had copies of the Torah, if you had copies of these scrolls in your home. And so the church would gather and they'd kind of meet in the temple. They would meet in people's homes. They would kind of meet down by the river, really wherever they could get together. And so they're going into the temple one day. Peter and John are walking in and they see this guy. He's set up. He's kind of begging for help, saying, hey, I need a hand. I need, uh, can you help me out? Can you give me anything? And Peter and John say, no, no, we don't have anything. We don't have any money for you, um, which is usually my default when somebody asks me for money. No, I don't have any cash. Sorry about that. Um, but Peter and John pause and stop and say, but we have something even better. And they say, get up and walk. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he does. And it's this remarkable moment, and they're ultimately brought in before uh, the temple guards, before the, San, uh, before the Sanhedrin, before the Sadducees in particular, to kind of give an account. Who do you think you are? In what name are you doing this? And they're brought in and begin to be questioned, and they're asking these questions. And it's this moment where it's, you know that it's not going to go well. If the police come to your house and say, hey, we need to have a talk. Um, we have a few questions for you. doesn't matter what has happened. You're immediately like, well, this is probably isn't good. Uh, this isn't going to go well. Um, maybe it's something to do with my weird neighbor. Maybe that's who it is. Uh, maybe that's what they're wanting to talk to me about. Um, but Peter and John go, and they have this conversation with the religious leaders, and they are released. Um, and they go back and meet with the other believers. And that's really where we're going to be picking it up uh, this morning um, because of how they respond. Um, so uh, if you've got your Bibles again, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 23. And so it's on their release. So Peter and John have been let go at this point. Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. 
And when they heard this, talking about the other believers, they raised their voice together in prayer to God. So that's how they responded. This, this thing has happened, uh, and they raised their voice in prayer. And it says, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke through the Holy Spirit, or you spoke by the Holy Spirit through your mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations raid, uh, rage and people plot in vain? Uh, the kings of the earth will rise up and rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed one. And so they're praying, and they're kind of quoting this psalm, uh, quoting this story uh, from the Old Testament. They're saying, hey, we know that opposition is coming. That's what you, we know that you've told us that. We know that that's where we're coming. Um, and you, it says, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate, they met together, and the, uh, and the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus. So they're saying, hey, we know, we know that the Romans, the Herodians— because um, remember, Israel was kind of a vassal state inside the Roman Empire at this point. So the, the, the Romans, the Herodians, and the religious leaders all conspired against Jesus. Everybody is against us. And sometimes we feel that way, like everybody's against me. But they really have a lot of evidence to show that everybody really was against them. Um, and this is uh, um, what they did... Uh, uh, they did what your power and will had decided what happened beforehand. Now consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hands and heal and perform signs and wonders um, through the name of your holy spirit or your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed these things, uh, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word boldly. I think it's such an interesting take because when they meet together and they face this real threat, this real opposition, this real challenge that has taken place, they've been brought in before officials, asked questions, challenged publicly, and they, yet their response is not what our response is. Because the truth is, our prayer life ultimately reflects how we value things. It reflects how we think about things. It reflects how we kind of view the world. And so what we would end up praying with, especially for me, what I would end up praying with is, God, keep me safe. Keep my friends safe. Keep the people that I care about safe. Because that's really the thing that kind of is important to me. When I look around at my own life and look around at how I've responded to things, it you can see over and over again this recurring theme of safety, of comfort, of blessing. Uh, those are the things that I tend to ask God for. And they tend to be pretty small prayers. Hey, God, we're getting ready to travel. Would you keep us safe? Sometimes we'll, we'll church it up a little bit. We'll give it some, uh, we'll give it some Christian language, so we'll call it traveling mercies. Um, but what we really mean is just keep us safe. Um, just keep us safe. And it's not a bad prayer. Statistically, the most dangerous thing you'll ever do in your life is drive a car. It's more dangerous than anything else you'll ever do. It's more dangerous than going to the beach. It's more dangerous than swimming in the ocean. It's more dangerous than any other single thing you'll do. And yet most of us do it every day. And we don't take that much caution to it. So it's not a bad prayer. You know, statistically, it is a dangerous activity. Praying for safety isn't a bad idea. But is it bold? And I think the answer is no. I think the answer is no. When you look at what the early church did and how they responded, they, ch they begin to change how they viewed things. They begin to change how they look at things. And here's the thing that I think that's really interesting. It wasn't always this way. 
it wasn't always this way. When you look at Peter and John, when you look at these two people, they were not always the most bold folks. The night that Jesus was arrested, the night that he was taken into custody, he went in uh, to be questioned. And he's in this kind of courtyard area, the way the homes are set up in the ancient Near East at that time. It's kind of a little U-shape, and there's kind of a common courtyard there. Peter's standing there at a fire, and this young girl, the text says, uh, comes up and talks to him. Generally, the accepted age for her, kind of based on language, is probably about junior high age. So this junior high girl looks at Peter and says, hey, you're... One of those Galileans, you were, you were with Jesus, weren't you? And he's like, Nope, not me. Certainly not me. I don't know what you're talking about. You're crazy. That's good. Had to be somebody else. It wasn't me that was there. He was afraid of being seen, of being figured out that he was on the wrong team, a bit that he was in the wrong place. Uh, you see this with the disciples when Jesus first is killed and ultimately buried. They run and hide. They are hiding in an upper room hiding where they'd had the Passover, trying to hunker down to figure out what's next, what they're going to do, how they're beginning to move forward, how they're going to respond. They're not very bold. And to be honest, I get it. They're kind of just regular guys. There's nothing spectacular about them. They weren't the standout folks. They weren't somebody who was kind of above board. They weren't the best and brightest in their school. They were just regular people. Um, they weren't somebody that people around them looked at them and said, hey, They've really got something special. They've really got, they've, got the, they've got the blessing of the Lord on them. We should definitely be a part of that. They were just normal people, normal people like you and like me. Uh, and yet, they begin to shift into this place. And so how does that happen? How do you begin to get there? I think bold prayers have two things in common. You can write these down. Um, bold prayers have two things in common. One, they can be learned. Bold prayers can be learned. Um, they're not things that we necessarily uh, know all the time. So uh, in Luke chapter 11, uh, Jesus is out praying. It says, um, it says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples came up to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Lord, teach us how to pray. I think that was beginning of this shift in them, this beginning of this pivot in them. Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus does. He goes on to talk about how to pray and how to begin to view prayer and how to begin to interact with prayer. And so when you think of yourself and you think of your own prayer life, you may think, feel like it doesn't quite measure up. And I want to tell you that is okay. If your prayer life is marked by just that great Christian virtue of feeling terribly guilty, if that's how your prayer life is motivated, if that's how, when it comes to prayer, the reason you pray is because I feel bad. I feel bad that I don't pray more, so I'm going to pray more. Don't. That's not at all what it's meant to be. That's not what God has called you to. It is okay to be mediocre at prayer because it's something we learn. It's a skill that we develop. It's something that takes time and energy and effort to learn. Um, scripture tells us over and over again that we can learn how to pray. And so if, you, if that's, that's something you're struggling with, if that's something you feel like is kind of uh, a hallmark for you, I would earmark Luke chapter 11 and kind of revisit that story and begin to walk through that scripture over and over again. Because prayer is something that we can learn how to do. 
one of my favorite theologians um, is a gentleman named Stanley Hauerwas. Um, he is just a hoot to listen to. He's got this deep, deep uh, accent from the South. Um, he's known for having a little bit of a, a little bit of a mouth of a sailor. Um, he is just known for some pretty provocative texts. Um, but one of the things that's true about him is he always felt uncomfortable praying in public. Um, it was something that he struggled with. And so for each of his classes, um, he would write down the prayers before those classes. When he was teaching at Notre Dame and then ultimately at Duke, um, he would write down the prayers for his classes, the prayers for his students. Um, as he would come into class each week, he would read the prayer that he wrote down um, because he wanted to make sure and focus on that. And this was ultimately collected into a book called Prayers Plainly Spoken. Um, and they're just such a unique and fresh take on how to approach God. And this is somebody who has spent their whole life in the church, somebody who's spent their whole life following Jesus, somebody who is so profoundly devoted to God and to God's people, and yet he wrote it down. He would take time to write it down. There is no right way to pray as long as it is you talking to God. So prayer can be learned. But the second thing I think that bold prayers have, and the thing that's probably even more key, is bold prayers are persistent. Bold prayers are persistent. Uh, they are prayers that you begin to go to over and over again. Um, for some of us, we kind of pray once a day, right when we sit down to dinner as a family. Maybe we pray once a week, right before we come to church, so that we don't feel too bad about coming to church with having not prayed that week. Um, maybe we pray because somebody reminds us to pray. Uh, maybe we pray because somebody said, hey, things are going pretty rough for me on Facebook. Would you pray for me? And we're like, yes, I'll pray for them. God, please be with them. Amen. There we go. Got it checked off. I did not skip it. But bold prayers are prayers that kind of go over and over again. In Ephesians, uh, when Paul writes his, his letter to the church at Ephesus, so in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes this. He says, uh, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with the kind of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. He says in all circumstances, not just when things are good, not just when things are bad, but in all circumstances, that we would come before God and pray for him, uh, pray to him. And sometimes I feel like my prayers are, they're kind of silly. They're things that are not that important. Um, they're things that are not that big of a deal. Uh, in our house this week, not a great week. Um, we've had good, better weeks before. Um, I am sitting down because I am an old man and my feet hurt very bad. Um, we've had, I got plantar fasciitis in both of my heels. Um, I was trying to channel my inner Chad and going to the gym too much and squatting too heavy and too frequently and just really irritated my heels. Um, and I went to the doctor. I said, doctor, it's been, it's been three weeks. This hurts terrible. Uh, what do I do? And he said, oh, you're doing everything you need to do. Just, just, just keep doing it. And I said, well, how long? How long to those heels? What, how much longer do I have? And he said, I don't know, three weeks to six months. And I was like, that's, that's too long. I can't. That's too long. And there's nothing to me that feels sillier than praying, God, my feet hurt. It just, it feels so cheesy and so unimportant. But it's been really important to me. Um, it's been really hard for me. Um, we've had all kinds of little mundane things. Our air conditioner went out this week, um, and so we didn't have air. Um, we had a tree limb fall in the big wind on Tuesday, um, knocked our fence down, went into our neighbor's yard. And it all kind of feels silly, 
Like, it's not, none of it's that big a deal. None of it's that important. None of it's that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. In two to three years, we won't even remember any of these things. And yet, those are the things that kind of earmark my prayers. And part of what Paul is saying here is pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of requests. It doesn't matter if it's a good prayer. If it doesn't matter, if it's a big prayer. It doesn't matter if it's a small prayer. It doesn't matter if you're praying about something that feels silly, that you know is silly in the grand scheme of things. Because if it's important to you, it's important to God. If it's something that is important to you, it's important to God. And part of why we pray is not just because we want to move the hand of God, but also because we want to change our own heart to be aligned with the things that God is aligned with. We want to begin to pursue these things, to lean into what God has called us to. Ultimately, we want our prayers to be bold prayers, prayers that push us and challenge us and call us to something bigger. Mark Batterson, uh, pastor in, in Washington, D.C., he's got a book, and one of, the, one of my favorite quotes from his uh, writings is, God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God, that when we bring something before God, and we lean into it, and we trust God, it is a sign that we care and that we're participating in Him, that we're a part of what He's about, uh, that we're a part of where He comes, uh, where he's, uh, what He's doing. And so this morning, I want to just challenge you. It does not matter what you're praying about. I mean, it does not matter how silly it feels. Just begin to lean into it. Begin to chase down those conversations and let your prayer life begin to become a reflection of kind of an ongoing experience with God. Um, I was sharing this week with my friend, uh, uh, Coach Joe. We were talking about Brother Lawrence. Um, Brother Lawrence is one of my favorite characters from church history. Um, he was a monk. Uh, he worked in a, a monastery. Excuse me, he wasn't even a monk. He wasn't even officially uh, ordained in the church. He was just a brother. He was somebody who would serve in the monastery. He lived in the monastery. For most of us, we'd look at him and think he was a monk, but he didn't have any formal education. And his day-in and day-out job was he washed dishes. But he wrote this book um, as kind of a collection of letters that he began to write uh, called Practicing the Presence of God. And one of the things that Brother Lawrence was known for is no matter what he was doing, he always felt like he was in the presence of God. He was always felt like he was in the presence of God. Whether he was working in the, in the kitchen, washing dishes, um, which was his primary job, or working in the garden, pulling weeds, uh, picking vegetables, washing them, prepping them to help cook food for the rest of the brothers, he, he always felt like that was in the presence of God, that that work was God-honoring work. And he began to write to others. People would see how he lived his life and see how he responded to things. And so they would write him and say, how? How do you live like that? How do you live in a way where worship is doing dishes? I don't know about you, but there is nothing worse than doing dishes. The end of the week for us, the kitchen is a mess the kitchen is a pile of dishes. We have totally switched to paper plates by Friday. Every Friday in our house, dinner is on paper plates because we don't have clean plates anymore because nobody wants to do the dishes. And yet Brother Lawrence viewed that every time as he was in the presence of God. And he began to talk about it. And it was just, he talked about it. It was just a slow refining of who he is and where he is. And his awareness of God began to grow. And so in this, I want to challenge you that it does not matter what your prayer looks like or what it sits like, that when you bring it before God consistently, 
it can become a bold prayer. It can become a big prayer. And so what I would love to invite you to is to begin to take these things to heart. Because again, God honors big prayers because big prayers honor God. I think that is what it comes down to. I wish that I sounded like Ken Jones when I prayed. I wish my prayers had that kind of gravitas, that kind of weight, um, that kind of theologically informed view. But they're just not. My prayers are often, God, my feet hurt real bad. God, I am tired of being a dad. It's been a long week. I don't feel like I'm winning. I feel pretty tired. What can I do? Those prayers count just as much as huge prayers because ultimately, over time, they help me to become who God's called me to be. They help me to become the kind of person that people can begin to look at and say, hey, he's been following God for a long time. Again, Peter and John were not the best and brightest. They were not chosen when they were in school. Every young Jewish boy would go to school to learn to study the Torah, and the best and brightest would be chosen to follow a rabbi. They weren't. They went and got a trade. They went and got a job. Nobody looked at them and said, hey, this is, these are the best and brightest. And yet Jesus chose them. He called them to become his followers, to become his apostles. And it began to change everything. And so this morning, I just want to leave you with that idea that it doesn't matter how big your prayers feel to you. They're big because of who God is. Um, so again, know that you can learn and know that it's persistence that changes everything. Um, I hope you get to come back with us next week. We've got a bunch going on um, over the next couple of weeks. Um, we've got several other people who are going to be sharing kind of what it means to be bold, what it means to follow God, um, especially what it means to follow God when things don't go well, um, when things aren't always in place, um, when things aren't always what you expect or what you envision. Um, some of us are old enough now that we can look around and say like, hey, the dreams and visions and plans I had for me, uh, what I thought was going to happen, um, it didn't work out that way. Uh, really, really thought there was a period where I was going to play professional soccer, and here I am in my 40s, unable to walk uh, because my feet hurt real bad. Um, and yet, God is still present, and God is still faithful in all of that. Um, this, I want to particularly just thank mothers um, uh, for being here this morning. Um, this is, especially you, those of you who are serving uh, on Mother's Day, um, it is a huge testament to who you are and what you do. Um, I want to particularly just thank my wife, who did not get shot out on the video because her husband's a mess, but um, she is just a delight. Um, so uh, we're going to have some gifts uh, for, for moms, is that right? Um, so I'm going to close us in prayer here, and then we're going to have some of the kids come in and share with us. Uh, God, thank you so much for this morning. God, I thank you for this congregation that we get to be a part of it. Um, God, I thank you that you don't ask us. You don't ask us to be superstars. You don't ask us to have it all together. You don't even ask our prayers to be the best and brightest. Instead, you just want us to come before you humbly and consistently. God, as Paul reminds us, in all circumstances, God, would our prayers begin to change us, to begin to change us into the kind of people who really are bold, who speak your word regardless of the situation, who are faithful in light of the big things. God, I know that my heart isn't always where I want it to be, that if I was faced with the same situation that Peter and John were faced in today, Part of what I would pray for is safety. Safety for me, for my friends, 
for my family. God, would you instead help me to be the kind of person who would pray for boldness, who would pursue you relentlessly. God, would you remind me that you care about me, that you care about my family, that you care about the nuts and bolts parts of life, the things that feel too small to talk about, too insignificant to worry about. They matter to you. God, would you empower us all to pray without ceasing and to lean into who you are. God, I thank you so much for Jesus, for his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that because the king has come, nothing will ever say the same. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.